The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Support for this show comes from Sivananda Ashram Yoga Retreat Bahamas, where yoga is more than a class, it's a way of life. With a mission to promote peace in the world, we invite you to immerse in a yogic lifestyle. Get started at sivanandabahamas.org. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. My guest today, Dr. Jalija Bonhumi, is the founder of the Institute of Circle Work and an author of a number of books, including a beautiful coffee table book entitled Goddess, A Celebration in Art and Literature, and the soon-to-be-released The Sacred Ego, Making Peace with Ourselves and Our World. An interview with Dr. Bonheim will appear in the September-October issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Jalija Bonheim, welcome to Essential Conversations. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. I want to focus the conversation on your new book, The Sacred Ego, but I think it'll be of benefit to our listeners if we begin with a bit of your personal story. I know a little bit. I know your dad was a German Jew who managed to escape from the Nazis in 1938. Give us a little background on your spiritual upbringing, how you found your way to the circle work and the goddess. Well, you know, I'm actually German and I grew up in Germany. My father was actually one of the few German Jews who went back after the war. And so on the one hand, I was seeing this utter devastation of the cities, um, including the city Cologne that I lived in. And I was also learning about the Holocaust. And um, I was I was trying to figure out what had happened. And, you know, for a young child, it's just bewildering. How could this have happened? And really, I think that is what set me on the path that I'm on now, because I started looking for answers. And I began to see that similar tragedies were happening in many places around the world, so that it was clearly not just something about whether you were Jewish or whether you were German. It had something to do with humanity. And as a child, I just decided, well, something is really wrong with us. And I wanted to know what it was. Eventually, I, you know, explored many spiritual traditions. I kept hearing about the ego. That was an answer I heard over and over. We have this ego, and the ego is greedy and self-serving, and it's really the cause of all our suffering. And it just, the answer just did not satisfy me. It just, you know, it's like, well, what is this ego? How did it evolve? Where did it come from? Why do we have it? Um, and so it really took me on a long journey. And 
I didn't really begin to find any answers until much later in my life when I started leading circle gatherings. So if I heard you right, when you went to see what was wrong, the answers you were given were rooted in the notion of something's wrong with the ego. The ego is to blame for all of our problems. And you found, I mean, your new book is called The Sacred Ego. So I'm assuming you found that that's, that isn't true. Did that come from your dance work? I mean, how did you discover that the ego mm-hmm. is not the problem when so many people say, no, it is the problem? Well, I think part of the issue is that we live in such an individualistic society. So both in spirituality and in psychology, there's a lot of focus on the individual. And so you're looking at the individual ego. And what I began to realize is that the real problems lie with our collective ego, not the individual ego. The collective ego, I realized, is not bad, but I would say it's ill. It's like someone who is mentally ill. You don't just disqualify them as evil. You say they have a sickness or a disease and you try to work with it. So that has been my focus to really explore why is our ego the way it is and why does it seem to be having such a destructive impact on our world today? Just like you can't really get to know a person if you're judging them. It won't work. And the same is true, I think, of the ego, that as long as we approach it with judgment and condemnation, we are not going to really understand it. So that approaching it with kindness and curiosity and humility, I think, is very crucial. So are you talking about the personal, individual ego or the collective ego? They aren't really separate. It's just that we focus so much on the personal ego. But the personal ego is not really as personal as we think. And that became very clear to me when I started working in the Middle East. And I was working, and I still am working, with Jews and Palestinians. And those are, of course, very tribal cultures. And so there is a very strong sense of collective identity. And I began to really understand that the real obstacles to peace were not so much in the individual psyche, although, of course, they manifest through the individual, but their roots lie in the collective consciousness. And that's where the change needs to happen. So that's a very big area to work with. I mean, the collective unconscious, I mean, you think of it in Jungian terms, that each tribe has its own collective unconscious, or how are you understanding it? I, I do think that is true, but I also think that we as a species, our ego has evolved over hundreds of thousands of years. And so there are dimensions of the ego that are common to all human beings. And of course, Jung described it as the collective unconscious. Personally, I think that it is coming into consciousness today and that we do have access to those dimensions of our psyche and that together we need to access them because otherwise we won't be able to heal our collective psyche. And that's what I see happening in the circle. So how does it work? How do you work with that energy in circles? Well, you know, the circle is interesting. The circle is actually a very ancient form, a very tribal form. And I think that Jung had it right when he said the circle is the archetype of wholeness and oneness and divinity. So when we come together in a circle, these very ancient instincts get activated. We begin to see in the process that we are actually all working on the same issues from different perspectives. For example, when I work with a women's circle, the issue of 
healing sexual abuse or healing the feminine, it comes up in so many different ways. Or another issue that comes up regularly in the circle is the fear of tribal rejection, the fear that if I really come forth with my truth, who I am, I am going to be rejected by my tribe, by the circle. So these are very deep, ancient issues that we might experience as individual, but in the circle we begin to realize that, oh, we are actually working on this together. And in some ways, it's a tremendous relief because all the shame drops off. It's like not there's not something wrong with you or me. We're just all working on the level of collective transformation together. If I'm understanding what you're saying correctly and what I've read of your material, we need to cultivate a new relationship with the ego. And I was curious, just maybe maybe I'm not following the definitions exactly. I guess when I think of ego, I think of my personality, myself, the I that, that I use in everyday discourse, not, not the, the soul consciousness or something greater, but that sense of individuality. So if I'm to cultivate a new relationship with my ego, who is the I that's cultivating the relationship with the ego? Am I not the ego and I need to relate to the ego? Or how, do I, how should I understand that? Ultimately, it's true. We are not the ego. And the ego evolved as an ally, as a servant that was really instated by nature in order to help us survive. You know, if we didn't have an ego, if we didn't experience ourselves as separate entities, we would have no reason to protect ourselves. So if nature is sacred, and this is really the thrust of goddess spirituality, feminine spirituality, the returning to the reverence for nature, if nature is sacred, then our ego is also sacred because it is really a servant of nature. So I think that if we want to experience our own wholeness, we can't split ourselves into different parts where we say, okay, this is a higher part, a spiritual part, and that's an inferior part, and I I really should try and get rid of it. We end up fragmented. Plus, it's never worked. Do you really know many people who've gotten rid of the ego? I certainly don't. No, neither do I. I know a lot of spiritual systems, practices that try to get you to do that. And then, of course, you always fail. And then you get, you know, you get dunned for not doing it right or doing it well enough. Exactly. Yeah. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org thrive. It's a setup for failure. Now, I think that the healthy ego is very connected to the heart and the soul. Whereas the unhealthy ego, which is often what we're talking about when we describe something as egoic or ego-based, is the ego that is divorced from the heart, that is not in touch with the heart, not listening to the heart, not following the guidance of the heart. So when the ego gets disconnected from the heart, it becomes destructive. So can you share with us an exercise that people might do to experience what you're talking about? Yes. Well, you know, maybe I can tell you briefly about an experience that I had last night. Um, Great. 
I just wrote a blog post about it. Um, I, you know, I live in a town and I was in my office. It was nine in the evening. And all of a sudden there's like this crash. And then I hear this guy racing down the street and he's bellowing at the top of his lungs. I mean, I'm sure you could hear it half a mile away. But it wasn't the rageful kind of bellowing that I've heard before. It sounded like pure despair. So this guy is racing back and forth, yelling at the top of his lungs. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do? So the protective side of my ego said, well, it's none of your business. Just ignore it. Or maybe call the police and say there's a crazy guy out there. He needs some help. But when I checked into my heart, my heart was saying, wow, this guy is really suffering and it doesn't feel good to let him suffer alone. So I ended up going out, spending about half an hour with him. He really did need someone to be with him. It was afterwards I thought, wow, if my ego had not been willing to sort of negotiate with my heart and listen to my heart, I that guy would have just been all by himself. And that would have been tragic. I think when we begin to cultivate the practice, and it really is a practice of what I call heart thinking, then the ego begins to function in service of the heart. Uh, rather than just overriding the needs and the desires of the heart. So I don't know if that answers your question, but it's sort of an example of what I call heart thinking as opposed to head thinking. You say in the blog, because I'm actually reading it, it's, it's in front of me now, and you, you said, I'm just going to read you just one sentence. I'm glad I had the courage to chase that guy down the street, but mostly what allowed me to do it was not courage, it was the circle. The circle has taught me that most people are basically good. It's also taught me that to really discover their goodness, you have to be willing to meet them wherever they are and open up to them. Often that requires some form of vulnerability. So my, my question is, the circle gives you that, that the courage of vulnerability? Yes. And, you know, if we could just cycle back to where we began, you know, I started this journey off as a German Jew with this conviction that people were not to be trusted. Um, there was just a deep distrust of my own species. So for me, working for over three decades now with circles, it's been this tremendous journey of healing, of really learning to fall in love again with my own species. Especially when I work in the Middle East, I'm in awe of the courage that these women have to really show up. And it does take courage. It's not physical courage. It's what I call heart courage. Um, it's the courage to really open ourselves up to really allow that pain and that vulnerability to surface. And I think without that, we can't really heal our relationships or our communities. So do you think, is there an, uh, an exercise that you could share with us that help us open our hearts? Or do we really have to be with you in an actual circle? Oh, no, absolutely. You can. There, there are many beautiful things you can do. Um, one, I think it's, we work a lot with touch, and I really think it makes a difference when we put our hands over our own heart. You can begin to speak to your heart, um, just as if you were speaking to a, a child or, you know, an animal, something very tender and vulnerable. You can also, and this is an exercise we often do in the circle, you can sit down and let the heart write a letter to you. So the heart, you can give it a voice. I am your heart. 
And it's really extraordinary what comes up. And many people say they realized that their heart was just so happy that they were finally listening, that they were turning to mm. it and really listening to its messages. All right. Thank you. That, that's that's a help. I, I hope people will give that uh, experiment with, with uh, what you've just shared, putting your hand in your heart and having your heart speak, write a letter to us. So I want to just add the other thing that in your work I find so intriguing, and that's your work with the goddess and this just gorgeous I mean, you call it a coffee table book. It's just a, and it is, and it's on my coffee table, but it is a gorgeous book about the goddess with lots of photographs and, and beautiful retelling of some of the classic stories of, of the goddess. How did you get involved with that? Did that grow out of the circle work? And do you have a, a lived experience of the goddess in your life? Yes, that really came out of my time spent in India studying Indian temple dance. Um, and in this form of temple dance, you really become the goddess, you embody her. And it's a great training because you learn all the different myths about the goddesses and you begin to really understand these energy fields that they represent. And so ever since, I've been working with women in the West and really helping them connect with that sacred feminine within themselves. Um, because these, these outer goddesses and these myths are really just mirrors of energies and aspects of our own self. And so it's beautiful when you see people, women as well as men, really stepping into that goddess aspect of their own being, as well as bringing that into their relationships. So I want to just let people know that if you take a look at her book um, on, on the goddess, it's not just Indian goddesses. I mean, she does a really wonderful job with how the goddess manifests throughout world cultures. So that, that's, I think it's, it seems to me that it's all part of the same work, the dancing, the circle work, the, the goddess experiences, the sacred ego. Do you see a thread going through your life that's taking you, using the circle metaphor, in, in a spiral either deeper and deeper into the spiritual core of your being or higher and higher into a, uh, a larger consciousness? Yes, absolutely. And thanks for, for naming that. I do feel that it's, you know, these are threads in a single tapestry. As we all know, our, our planet is in crisis. So I feel like I am one of many people who is calling in the sacred feminine, calling in a new consciousness because we need it, because our planet needs it. And I think that women have a very important role to play in this. And that is why I, you know, most of my workshops are for women, although not all. And I'm actually about to start a uh, an online course on the goddess of wealth because I feel like this integration of money and spirituality has been really missing. And that that that's sort of my earlier work, I focused a lot on sexuality. But I feel like money is this other issue that we don't talk about and that is often very split off from our spirituality. And yet it's so central in our world. Well, that so, sounds like another fascinating thing to be working yes. with. Yeah, deep, deep energy. My guest today was Jalala Bonheim. You can learn more about her work at her website, sacredego.com. And that will take you to her website and you can see all the books she's written and, and the different things that she's been doing. And remember, her interview will appear in Spirituality and Health magazine in the September-October issue. So, Dr. Bonham, thank you so much for being with us on Essential Conversations. Thanks for having me.
Today's interview was sponsored by Shivananda Ashram Yoga Retreat, Bahamas, where yoga is more than a class, it's a way of life. With a mission to promote peace in the world, the good people of Shivananda Ashram invite you to immerse in a yogic lifestyle. Get started at shivanandabahamas.org. And let me just add a personal note. I have taught at the ashram twice, and I promise you this is a wonderful place to practice and to learn. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Visit spiritualityhealth.com and subscribe to the magazine in either print or digital formats, and the digital is suitable for any tablet or smartphone, and download the iTunes app for this podcast so you never miss one. Essential Conversations is produced by Corinne Johnston, and our program coordinator is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. talk to the animals and we know you can too on the animal communication podcast hosted by the three of us myself julie heert aaron Dendy smith and meredith tollison we will show you how to deepen your relationship with your beloved animal companions whether they're alive or in spirit as soul-level animal communicators we explain the process and explore topics such as health behavior and play all from the animal's perspective so subscribe and follow us on apple spotify and listen as part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.